If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We have two guests, two very disparate guests. Um, this podcast will be a little different, both of them uh, on college campuses. But our first guest is Tom Gilovich. Who is Tom Gilovich? He is the chair of psychology at Cornell. He is a leading behavioral psychologist, a leading behavioral economist. Um, the backstory here is a mutual friend said that Tom Gilovich had a theory on why we don't mind it when tennis players win lots and lots of titles but uh it bothers us when it happens with teams which uh was an interesting theory and we also stop at nothing to talk to behavioral economists so um tom gilovich explains his theory and we also talk uh a bit about some of his work he's very famous in sports for his work uh basically discounting the hot hand which is very controversial but uh years ago he did a, a study that's still cited often about that um talk about sports and decision making in general it's a really really fun conversation and then we have a very different type of guest. We talked to Britt Collins. Who is Britt Collins, you ask? She played tennis for UMass in Massachusetts and uh, found out by a text that her school had to vacate wins and a conference title on her account recently. Uh, why was that? Because unbeknownst to her, she had $126 of improper benefits and uh, suddenly her school's record has now been expunged. Um, this story got uh, some play on the internet and Britt reached out to me uh, asking to, to tell her story. We were happy to oblige. So um, two very different guests, but uh, both fun conversations. Let's start with uh, Tom Gilovich. So I, I have three main topics I wanted to throw at you, if that's okay. Okay. Nadal just won his 13th French Open, which is, of course, extraordinary. Djokovic will be going for his ninth Australian Open at the next major. Federer has won Wimbledon eight times. And we seem to love this, this accumulation of, of titles. Um, and we, we don't seem nearly as fond when we have dominance in a team sport. And it was, uh, a, a mole has told me that you've given this some thought. And I'm, I'm fascinated by what you've come up with because uh, I've wondered this, about this myself. And uh, you, you have expertise and I don't. Yeah, um, we've done research on that very subject, and uh, a former PhD student who's now at Ohio State, Jesse Walker and I, we were at a coffee shop talking about research that we were doing on another subject, on conversation. And I don't know why, but we interrupted our own conversation on conversation. Uh, one of us said, why do we all want Federer to keep winning? Uh, and there must have been something around the time the Patriots looked like they were going to do well again. And we said, you know, I'm sick of the Patriots winning. And that just struck us as interesting. Why do you want individual success to continue, but not group success? And so as research psychologists do, we 
speculated about it, came up with an idea that we thought might be responsible for it. And so we set about doing research to A, find out whether that's true, uh, and B, to find out uh, why, if our guess as to what was responsible for it, or at least partly responsible for it, was true or not. So what'd you come up with? Um, well, first to find out whether it was the case, we just did a, a number of studies where, you know, we reminded people, for example, that Usain Bolt had won the Olympic 100 meter dash three times in a row. And we told survey respondents that uh, there are rumors that he's going to come back and be in the fourth Olympics. Uh, how much would you like to see him win that event? We also reminded him that he was on the Jamaican four by 100 relay that's won the last three Olympics and he might come back in that event. How much would you like uh, to see Jamaica and Bolt win for a fourth time? And uh, which one would you be most interested in the streak continuing? And uh, by an overwhelming majority, people wanna see the individual streak continue more than the group streak. Um, we told people about uh, streaks involving sports they've never heard of, this obscure Italian sport uh, called uh, Calcio Fiorentino. Um, and uh, that, since they had no prior knowledge, uh, we could test a pure case of individual versus group. We described it correctly as a team sport and said that uh, Milan had won several times in a row. How much would you want to see them win again? And then to another group of respondents, we incorrectly told them that there's a individual variant of it. And uh, this person, I think we called him Roberto Moretti, had won several times in a row. How much do you want him to continue? And uh, meh, not so much. So, and we've done a lot of studies like that showing that the effect is there and then the question is why yeah. and what we thought was that um when you see an individual win like when the doll's winning all the time it's awe-inspiring um and awe is a positive emotion we want to enjoy it we want to be around it we want to bask in it um group success team success you is also amazing we will grant that it's amazing it's less awe-inspiring because it's not clear what it is that's responsible for it um, or uh, put it this way that is whatever is responsible for Federer or Nadal's success or Bolt's success it's in them it's something about them the Patriots, nah, how much is Brady? How much is Belichick? How much is the organization they've set up? You just don't know. And so the, the cause in your mind is kind of diffuse and therefore it's less awe-inspiring. Um, and we've done a number of studies to show that you, uh, the thought of, wow, Nadal's, he's going for a 13th, that's amazing. That inspires more awe than team success. Uh, and that statistically mediates, that's responsible for the greater desire that people have to see the individual streak continue. Oh, that's great. Have you, have you looked at that beyond sports? Is this you know, a, a performer versus a band or a, a, a politician versus a party? You, yeah, we've uh, created similar uh, scenarios like this in, um, we described the British Quizzing Championship, a real trivia test, and uh, we tell people scenarios in which a team has won many years in a row, how much do you want to see them continue, or a person, and same thing there. We've described scenarios where a certain police detective wins this national award as being the best homicide detective uh, year in, year out. How much do you want to see him continue? Or a police department in Kansas City or Los Angeles keeps winning the national award. People are less interested in that. So yeah, we see it outside of sports uh, as well, although we've, we've focused on sports because it was inspired by Federer. That's, uh, I'm, I'm completely buying that. That's, that's, 
I'm completely buying that. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, no, people say, well, I've got Lakers fatigue. <laughs> nobody, says, uh, no, nobody says I have I'm Serena Williams fatigue. Um, that's great. L let me ask you, I mean, I first got familiar with your work through the hot hand, as I, uh, uh, I suspect many sports fans have. Um, I, I know, did you ever hear the Obama story, by the way, about, about, your, uh, about your research? No. This is great. It's, it's, a, it's apocryphal, but you have to look this up. Apparently he said something like, like, I understand this and I know that they're right, but I can tell you as somebody who loves to play basketball, there's just some days when I'm feeling it, there's some days or not, and I just, I can't accept it. I know they're correct and I can't reconcile what I know <laughs> to be true factually and I know to be sound academic research with what I feel when I go and I, I feel like I can make any jump shot in the world. Yeah, yeah, no, the feeling is so compelling. That's really funny. I'm, I'm glad you told me that story because when he was first elected president, you know, every now and then a president will come to Cornell and I was still playing in the noontime basketball game then. And I would occasionally dream that Obama comes here and uh, I got to play with him in the noontime game. So uh, <laughs> he is, uh, he's aware of your scholarship, if that's any consolation. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, have you, uh, uh, I take it you have, I mean, I don't know, you, why don't you summarize it and not me, but also have, have, you, have you budged at all or, or uh, do, you, do you stand by your research? Um, you know, there's, there's new papers coming out all the time, and um, the, the most serious challenge has uh, only recently emerged uh, by a pair of economists. And, um, and, and then, the and there's lots of questions about it, but uh, let's just take for a second that they're right, there is such a thing as a hot hand. The question is, uh, the debate now is how substantial is that? Does it line up with uh, the intuitions that we have. And, you know, when we started this research, it was all based on some psychology about how easy it is to see order and random stimuli, famous cases like people seeing faces in clouds, etc. cetera. Um, if you ask people to generate a sequence of uh, heads and tails that you would get when flipping coins, they don't generate a secret, a sequence that looks at all like an actual coin, series of coin flips. And so we did this to see whether that was true here too, thinking that um, people exaggerate the amount of streakiness. It wasn't that important to us that there was no streakiness, although obviously to sports fans, that's very important. Um, and then we found that there was none. Um, and uh, different people on our team were differentially surprised by that. Um, and, but it wasn't a necessary part of the, uh, of the, of the story. Um, I'm, I certainly re remain convinced that basketball fans and players exaggerate the uh, amount of streak, streakiness there is. And, you know, I grant the Obama point, certainly, you know, I played basketball myself for many, many years. And the feeling is just overwhelming. You feel like you just can't miss. And it took me a while to develop a line of questioning that would maybe not convince Obama, let's say, or the average basketball fan, but at least get them to take it very, very seriously. There's a way, you know, it starts out very counterintuitive. There's a way to make it a little more intuitive. Uh, are, are you a basketball player? Do you, have you? I'm like, uh, no, I've, you know, it's I'm a Sunday morning, Sunday morning yeah. YMCA player. I mean, I just, yeah. Yeah, I just want to be, I mean, the, the point, I hope I'm not misstating that is essentially when you, we all think we're either hot or cold and we are streaky, we have momentum, but in truth, when you shoot jump shot, a jump shot, a plus one is independent of past success or failure. Is that, is that accurate? Is that? Yeah, and that was the claim that stood since we first uh, produced that paper. And, you know, there have been a number of challenges to it since they were, uh, in my opinion, pretty easy to rebut. Uh, this most recent one, actually a couple that have come down the pike lately, uh, one of them uh, involving the kind of data set that is just extraordinary that, uh, you know, didn't exist back in the day. Uh, suggests that there is uh, a little bit, it's not, the dependency between shot N and N plus one isn't uh, 
zero, but it's, uh, it's quite small and much smaller than the, um, what your intuitions lead you to believe. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, I, but I wondered how this pertained to tennis, because it's, it seems to me, you know, if, if you've made three jump shots in a row, I'm going to defend you differently on the fourth, or if you've missed three, I might leave you open for the fourth. I, I wonder with the serve especially, that doesn't seem to be dependent on anything other than the deliverer. I mean, you know, maybe the ability of the returner, but it seems like a fairly independent action. I wonder if there's application with this idea of hot hand and momentum to tennis that you've, uh, that you've given thought to. Yeah, I don't know if anyone, I can't imagine someone hasn't done it, looked at it in tennis and tennis serves. Uh, I have not. Um, and, but the idea is, you know, the belief in streak shooting or the hot hand is really one version of this broader belief that we have that success breeds success and failure breeds failure. And there are some places in life where that's absolutely true. And uh, because it's true in some areas of life, um, you can, it can bleed over and lead you to believe that it's true in some other domains where it isn't true. And the, the best example of that is um, if you're in a casino and you're playing blackjack or something and you're winning, it just feels like, yeah, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on a streak here and I want to shove more money on the table to take advantage of this streak. It's not as compelling as streak shooting, but it's still very compelling. And the nature of the enterprise is such that it's obviously not true there. Right. Um, and, and conversely, too, right? It's, oh, we're, we're due for red. It's been black three times in a row. We're due for red. As if, yeah. uh, what, why do we do that? Why yeah, well, we do there, that? I mean, the, the tension that exists there between um, the belief in the gambler's fallacy that uh, after a long run of heads, a tail is due, <laughs> right. uh, and uh, belief in streakiness. There's just some very, it's an interesting tension that involves some very complicated psychology that, uh, quite frankly, we don't understand fully. Let me ask you one more tennis question. Uh, this is more sort of dis decision-making science than anything else. But um, you have done a lot of work with errors of, of omission versus commission and how yeah. that figures into to, to loss aversion and the psychological immune system we have. I mean, tennis is a sport where this whole idea of error versus winner, we have a category, unforced error. Players talk all the time about, you know, oh, I... I regret that I didn't go for it, or I was happy with my play because I took my chances. Where does this distinction between errors of omission and commission, how, how does that, how, how would that affect the psychology of a tennis player? Yeah, um, it's hard to, you know, hit out, to be as aggressive as you might need to be to really close out a match. Um, because for a variety of reasons, but one of them is that, you know, mistakes of action are really painful, at least in the short term. You know, the example I like to use in a university setting is uh, if you're taking a multiple choice test and you think it's one answer and then you think, well, maybe it's not, uh, maybe it's not A, maybe it's C. You can switch to the new answer or stay with the old one. If you switch to that what you think is now the right answer, and it turns out to be wrong, you just kick yourself that, wait a minute, I had the right answer. Uh, all I had to do was leave it alone and I would be fine. So that really bothers you. Uh, mistakes of commission hurt more in the short term. Uh, but one of the interesting things is over time, stuff starts to happen to make you uh, achieve some peace with those uh, mistakes of commission. At least I'm the kind of player who really goes for it. I'm not uh, a wimpy kind of player. And, you know, it didn't happen for me, but I, you know, I left it all out there on the court. That's the kind of psychological work you can do to make you feel better about that. If you didn't go for it, it's hard to tell yourself a story that's going to make you think better of it over time. And as a result of that, that difference in that kind of psychology, 
the regrets of inaction kind of, they may not be as intense to begin with, but they have a longer shelf life. The, they last longer. Well, that's really good. So, awesome. so if you, uh, no, I mean, if, if you, I think that's really, if you take a risk on a second serve and double fault, you might have that stab, but in the long run, it'll be less painful than not, not having taken your chances. Yeah, I, I went down swinging is exactly. something that's comforting. I, I wimped out. <laughs> that, that's not so comforting. No, it's really, um, can, I, uh, can I just encourage you to uh, do some more research in tennis? It's really fascinating. Well, we, well, we did do, um, we didn't publish this. But, well, it, and the data are only indicative. We don't have all the data that we really need. We published another paper on basketball that is the, um, you know, the ball don't lie idea that, uh, you know, you, a foul is called on you. You're guarding me. The ref calls a foul, but I know you really didn't foul me, but I get to go to the free throw line anyway. Um, do I miss a higher percentage of those? Because I know I'm there for, it's an ill-gotten game. Right, right. And the answer is yes. And so the tennis equivalent of that, of course, is um, I hit a net ball. It just plops over. I apologize. You know, the, everybody gives that little gesture. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and are they uh, a little, do they kind of have the feeling there's been an injustice and therefore don't try as hard or a little distracted. We don't know exactly why. And uh, we did collect some evidence consistent with that, but we never published it because the data just, it's so hard to get. Right. Um, and we, we didn't have that much of it. And so what we have supports it, but it just didn't, didn't feel as solid as the basketball data. So it just, it sits on a shelf. Oh, that's fa so just, to, so just to be clear, the, the idea is uh, if, if you feel like this is, an ill-gotten gain or an ill-deserved point, you might be more likely to lose the subsequent ones. Yes, yeah. And it, it could be, you know, some subconscious restoring justice, or I think more likely, but we don't know the actual mechanism here. Because of that fairness concern, nicely, that we all have, we all monitor fairness, you might just be a little bit distracted and therefore just a little bit less good of a player for a while. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I would uh, I encourage that, that's fantastic. Um, you know, t t tennis, tennis data is not what basketball data is, but again, I would uh, I cordially invite you to do some more research in tennis because it's really fascinating sport. Yeah, uh, it sure is. Um, there's, there's really nothing like it, you know, the, you can't run out the clock in tennis the way you can in so many other sports, and that just makes it psychologically so interesting. But I love this idea of awe. You've, you've taught us all something. Um, that's great. And um, I'll, I'll, you, you want to, uh, I'll, I'll give you some, some armchair psychology here as well. Okay. There's, there's no payroll that I feel like a lot of sports success now, I mean, oh, the Dodgers, of course they're going to win. They've got X times the payroll and the four players on this team are worth more than the whole Tampa roster. And the, the Patriots were able to sign someone cheap. And I mean, tennis doesn't have this contamination of, of payroll and dollars and cents. And nobody says how much Roger Federer is paying in his training, even though it might be as much a material advantage as the Yankees having triple the payroll of the team they're, they're facing. Um, so tennis has sort of spared that, uh, that taint. But I, I think this idea of individual awe versus team awe is really fascinating. That's, uh, well, it's interesting, John. You're, you've got to, if you ever give up sports writing, you have a future as an experimental social psychologist. We did a study uh, very much like, <laughs> remarkably like what you just described. We were extending this idea of how much you want individual success to continue versus group success to the idea of what do people think about one of the pressing problems of the day, which is growing income inequality. And if you think of income inequality as that between individuals, 
are you more okay with it than that uh, between groups? And we have a number of studies showing that that is the case. Um, and so people who try to say, oh, income inequality is not so bad, they usually talk about individual entrepreneurs, individual people who are doing well. If you're trying to say um, that income inequality is bad, uh, you're going to talk about the class of people who make what you're going to uh, talk about hedge fund managers, the class of people, billionaires, the class of people, not individuals. Anyway, all of that is to say we did a study where we uh, described um, Federer's training budget compared to Stan's um, and made it comparable to uh, the Yankees payroll versus the Mets and asked people, uh, you know, how fair is this? And um, they're, they're much more okay with the same asymmetry in budget for the individual than for the teams. Oh, that's fascinating. Did you, did you, uh, you were able to get that data? Or that was no, no, we, this was a scenario. We yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, I, I, I'd love to uh, have access to that. Actually, oh, it's fascinating. All right, I, I could talk about this, uh, we, you know, we, we, could, we could do this all night. I love this stuff. Um, but this was, uh, this was tremendous. I, uh, this this idea of awe is, is really smart and I think explains, well, let's go, you know, go, go Djokovic, go Serena, and if the Kansas City Chiefs don't repeat as Super Bowl champions, we'll all be fine with that. <laughs> nice summary yes um i appreciate this stay in touch and uh pu publish some more uh tennis research i beg you all right take care hey, thanks take care that's great thanks bye all right thanks to professor gilovich that was uh really fun and uh we we hope to see more of his work in the, in the tennis space because uh i've said before it is a fertile ground this is rich soil for uh all sorts of uh studies on decision-making and in cognitive psychology. Um, our next guest, a little bit different. Uh, this is Britt Collins, who again, Britt played tennis for UMass and quite uh, by happenstance found out that not only had her school had to recently vacate some tennis wins, but it was because of her. What horrible nefarious act had uh, Britt undertaken? Apparently uh, because of a clerical work error, she got $126 worth of improper telecom benefits for her off-campus apartment. So yes, uh, while the NCAA wrestles uh, what to do with Arizona and its basketball coach who on tape has appeared to have paid $10,000 a month to a recruit, uh, UMass is vacating tennis wins because of uh, somebody put some payment in the wrong column. Um, here is Britt to explain what the heck happened and why this uh, absurdity has, uh, has allowed to occur. So here is uh, Britt Collins. Britt, thanks for stopping by. Thanks, thanks for doing this. This is such a crazy story that I realized I couldn't do it justice trying to uh, make sense of it. I, I just would just as soon give you the floor and, and tell us what the hell happened here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I, I'm, you know, I, I basically how it started was I was uh, driving in my car and as I had reached home and pulled over, I started, I noticed that my phone was like blowing up by my fitness coaches and they sent me this headline like UMass to be penalized by the NCAA. And so I thought like nothing of it um, until I clicked on the article and I saw UMass tennis and I was like, oh, come on, like, this is a joke. Like they're, they're definitely like just goofing off with me. And then I started reading their text before going into the actual story. And they were like, didn't you transfer to UMass between 2014 and 17? And I was like, wait, why are they bringing up the years that I went there? And I read um, and I saw that the first thing I saw was like the $9,100 and they were going to vacate all the seasons that I was there. And I was like, why? And I started reading and I was trying to get like right to the facts. And I saw because two student athletes on the tennis team who moved off campus the 2015-2016 year received these impermissible benefits. And I was like, whoa, back up. Um, that's me and my best friend, Anna Woosley. And I'm like, wait, what did we do? I'm like, this is like, this is so weird. I'm three years out of college. Like I have nothing to do with that anymore. And I guess I just like started to read and learn and I was, you know, seeing stuff. And I, um, I read that it was a telecom fee. And I was like, wait, what is this? Like, I don't even know what that is. And it was 126, well, at the time, it was $252 for 
my best friend Anna and I and I was like I I don't even get this so I got on the phone and I called the current head coach um JC Nunez and I was like what's going on and I you know had read that Ryan Bamford our AD was gonna fight this and he was like honestly I I I can't exactly explain everything to you why don't you talk to Judy she wants to talk to you because I had sent I I sent the article right away to my teammates I was like guys what are they doing like we're in the news this is weird like nobody knows about UMass tennis and uh, they were like no way you're kidding me like this is crazy and um, basically I talked to Judy and I was like uh so the two student athletes are Anna and I what is a telecom fee and so she said yeah each of you were paid 126 dollars each by accidentally because the problem was I guess this telecom fee is a stipend for uh, a dorm phone and um Anna and I I would some other athletes had moved off campus 2015-2016 and we were no longer entitled to this stipend but we had no idea that this stipend exists because basically we just get a, a check deposit in right into our bank accounts no like no breakdown I'm, I'm sure we could find a breakdown if we we asked for it but it's just a lump sum of money so basically um I was just trying to learn what happened and so I had learned that um UMass had um started and um they were auditing themselves and they came across this error and self-reported it to the NCAA in which 12 total student athletes had received this um, stipend in some regard in this three-year period of 2014 to 2017, which was the years that I was at UMass. Anna and I specifically received it one time. Um, that's what they found out in the 2015-2016 year, the year we moved off campus. So it was a mistake. It was a clerical error. They didn't realize that they had paid us this this fee that was meant for, yeah, I know, <laughs> you know, moving off, um, whatever, for on-campus students. So they self-reported it. They, UMass gave themselves a self-imposed $5,000 fine and said that they would, um, you know, be on probation. So they went to the NCAA with this very minor and the NCAA said thank you for self-reporting there's this whole program that they're like incentive to self-report like we can handle it internally basically like it doesn't need to blow up they make an agreement with Ryan that that's that's where it was then after an agreement has been made the committee of infractions comes along and says well no this doesn't sit well with us by the way we're also going to vacate all your seasons for UMass basketball women's and men's and tennis and Ryan was like well we didn't agree to this and Ryan has been I guess the school has spent a hundred thousand dollars in defending itself to the NCAA and by reporting it obviously no advantage here for for UMass like just lose the situation just trying to be honest and basically the NCAA their justification for these harsh penalties was while well, your two student athletes were um, it doesn't matter the dollar amount is what they said. It has it doesn't matter at all. It matters the fact that they were ineligible and that you didn't pull them out when you should have. And so UMass comes back and says, well, how could we have pulled them out? Because we didn't know. And when we did find out, we did self-report it. And the sad thing is this could have never like been an issue had we did know at the time. The only thing that we would have to do is pay $126 back and we would have been reinstated that exact day hours later and this would have never been a problem. Um, so it's pretty crazy. Um, so I was very upset when I found out, very confused, and I spoke to the head coaches, current and mine at the time, and just said, like, I would love to start a, a petition and do something from, like, the student-athletes voice because I felt that and my team felt that because the the NCAA committee of infractions decide to penalize us they send out the message to everybody that we did something wrong and we had no knowledge of any of this like literally I'm finding out about this three years later and I just at first when we started going on Twitter like it was almost nobody agrees with the NCAA which is the most amazing thing but we did see like some people writing like cheaters like taking impermissible benefits people are reading the headlines like $9,100 at first people thought we were like getting like recruited or like some like amazing thing like you know that we were living in like these lavish like 
apartments and and I'm like this is a joke we're tennis players like nobody even knows we exist like come on like so it sent the wrong message out and I just wanted the right message to get out there so I spoke with my my best friends on the team and Ryan and I said hey I want to write this like letter in petition form and I want to see if we can get people on board with us and Ryan said you have 100% my you know um, consent to do this he read it he said I think it's great and he's like, go for it. And he was one of the first people to sign it with me and my teammates. And since then, it's been, this situation, of course, is not amazing, you know, with the NCAA doing this. But I think it's been amazing that we've received so much support and that the story is getting out there because we believe that this is not just about overturning our, you know, our our results we believe that this is like clearly the ncaa not protecting student athletes which is what they say they're supposed to do it affected so many people my teammates who are coming most of my team a lot of my team was international so you know you're recruiting these girls to come from like all over the world england and spain say come play for us and then and then you put that out there and it, it it's like you know, not only hurtful to them and their careers, but it's, it's kind of damaging to their character. And so that's why we want to get this out there because I just feel like the NCAA, like they pride themselves on protecting us. And this is a clear example in which they, they really did not. Gotcha. That, that is a great, Sorry. <laughs> that's a great summation of a crazy, uh, I mean, I feel like if we had this in conversation form, it would be so absurd. I'm glad you uh, could, could just sort of, explain the facts. I mean, I, I feel like I should fill in the blanks, especially because we have, we have international uh, listenership. So uh, yeah, bear, bear with me. And, so work with me here. I mean, basically, co college sports exist under this principle that these are amateurs, these are unpaid athletes, they're not entitled to compensation, but also there are all these strict rules on what you say are impermissible benefits, which have been as ridiculous as, you know, you can, you could have a bagel, but it can't have cream cheese. I mean, the, it's, yeah. it, which is not a joke. I mean, that's really, I don't know if you came across that one, but that's actually in the NCAA rule. <laughs> I actually so, didn't know that. Um, so you guys, I mean, you know, there are instances and in a quick Google search will reveal, you know, there are college football players being paid and yeah. you know, the Louisiana state basketball coach is making quote, strong ass offers to recruits and the Arizona yeah. basketball coach is paying $10,000 a month, apparently. Um, this is not what this case is, but the, the NCAA is investigating your school, as I understand it, mm -hmm. or what's a clerical error. And in the course of that, they realize that inadvertently this $126 telecom charge has been applied to uh, off-campus off athletes, you, you and yeah. your friend. Did, did you know there was even an investigation going on? No, I literally found out that I think it was just over a week ago, a Friday, like by reading the headline. So I think that's why I was so confused. Like I had no idea any of this was going on. You've never been interviewed. No one ever said, hey, listen, we had this weird, you know, it's, it's six $20 bills. Could you pay us back? You, ne you never had anything <laughs> like that. Um, no, nothing. You're, you're reading the story and you think it's a prank because it's so absurd. Yeah. That UMass is vacating victories because of this, uh, this infraction. Um, mm -hmm. I I'm guessing by the time you got to the end of that story, you weren't smiling the ironic smile that you're smiling now. I mean, what was your reading no. that? Yeah, no, I, I did. I went through like a range of emotions. Like I said, I read it and I was like, ha ha, funny guys. It was my, my fitness coaches, my team. And I was like, good, good one. And then I'm like, I actually, they, they didn't even respond. Like if you look at my text to them, it went from like, ha ha to wait, what is going on to, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And they, that, then they started laughing and I was like, wow, I should have just like read the whole story. So yeah, I think I went from like confused and well, ha ha to confused. And then to, I don't understand. Okay. Now I'm angry because now I do understand. And like you said, like vacating seasons is reserved for, huge penalties like and it really just it really upsets me that the NCAA looks the other way when it's their players that are making them all the money because right. you can't penalize those guys because then they're not making money but then to go after like a small women's sport that like 
does not like it doesn't get any attention like it doesn't serve like them like you know bad like it's just like it, it's just like why like you know can, I, just, wait, can I, I can i cut you off for a second yeah it's just, just for people to have perspective i mean the, the louisiana football team for example had a a booster who embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from a church and he paid the families of two players $250,000 from this embezzled church money, they did not have to vacate victories. So it's, yeah. as you say, what? it's pretty severe. So you're, yeah, you're like how, how does that make sense? Really? Like somebody explain it to me. Like, how does that, how do, how does what we did equate to that in any regard? Not even equate. How did what we do, we did is more wrong than that. Like that makes no sense. Um, so where, where are you right now? I mean, how are you going through this uh, a week later when you, you seem to have this, this online support and you have a lot of people with you rolling their eyes at the absurdity of this? Where, where are you right now? Yeah, I think I'm in a really different mindset right now. I'm, um, I'm, I don't want to say I'm happy because like, I feel like this is sad that it's happening in general, but I am really excited that a conversation has been started and or restarted I should say because obviously this has been a conversation happening for a long time but it feels like that there is some sort of movement this time around especially with the petition that my teammates and I started that might actually be able to like evoke some change and I think the support has really just comforted everyone. I'm on a group chat with my best friends on the team and we've just been going back and forth. Like, that's amazing. You know, Brad Gilbert just shared our petition. Like people we thought would never like, you know, even know who the UMass tennis team is. So the fact that I'm talking with you right now, like I'm, I'm a little bit like shocked because when we started this, of course, like we wanted to get it out on a, on a platform, but we didn't, expect it to to actually start getting this kind of attention and that's just you know really comforting and exciting for all of us because we want we don't want this to happen to other student athletes you know again in the future and like for some reason the NCAA has not listened in the past to to people coming to them and saying like this isn't right so if we can add to that conversation like that just makes us all like really grateful and happy what has this done for the team? I mean, I, I'm guessing you and your teammates are all on a group text and going yeah. through this together. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, you know, we, <laughs> I don't want to make a pun here, but like we haven't had any like benefit, I guess, as far as like the NCAA right now, but, um, but it's, it's brought us like closer together again. Like we're all international. Um, so it's just given us a reason to kind of like, band together again like another time and I kind of spoke a little bit about our team's character in, in the petition and we've always been an underdog like even playing in our matches and we've always relied on our ability to come together and fight really hard and to scrap things out and so that's how, how we kind of feel like we're going to go forward with this like it's okay that like people don't know who we are like we're going to do our best to get the UMass tennis name out there make sure that the the name is you know done justice and that people don't think we're cheaters and and I think it's just like a special opportunity for us to you know keep talking and and, and just be together you are uh, this is an audio medium but uh i can see you you're wearing a umass t-shirt um, i am just in case I, i've been wearing this t-shirt all, all week umass tennis so um I, i'm inferring your, your anger and frustration is with the ncaa and not with the school for this clerical error just to be clear. no not at all i mean this was a, clearly a, a mistake and um the fact that like i said they're spending you know they didn't they didn't even have to you know spend any amount to defend us or the school, but Ryan Bamford, our AD, he, he is a truly a unique, um, you know, athletic director. He is really special. I've had other, as a transfer, I've had other athletic directors, like Ryan makes it personal, like for everyone, like, and he is so invested. And so of course not, I'm not upset with the school. They, they did the right thing. And I'm, I'm really just upset with the NCAA and, and have the support from UMass and the, the outpouring of how can I help? Like, that's been amazing too, just to, 
to feel connected because you know a lot of student athletes on the smaller teams they don't feel connected to their ad or or the other parts because they're not recognized so the fact that we can say like that our school does recognize us is is an accomplishment in itself and you guys as i understand you won the conference your senior year yeah we did but would you have won that conference if you didn't have the impermissible benefit of $126 in a router for your on-campus apartment. Don't you think that's over the <laughs> Yeah, I say we, we definitely would have. Um, I still have the $126 and I'm ready to give it back at any time. <laughs> uh, we're, we're joking about this, you're smiling about this, but I mean, re realistically, how, how does this end? I mean, what, what do you wanna see happen now? Um, so I think when I had started this with my teammates, I didn't really know what was gonna happen. But uh, the, the first priority is getting our petition out there, talking to media platforms and just like really getting it out there to actually bring something to the NCAA and say, look, we have like a petition this time. Like we're not just sitting here and, and you know, talking trash or whatever like we want to show you like let's do something like let's extend you know an olive branch like let's see how we can make change so um from that end like that's the priority right now getting the petition out there and getting signatures but i've actually started arranging meetings with committees um and people from the ncaa to see if i can start conversations like you know with them because i think that would be important i don't think you know, I am upset with the NCAA, but I think in order to make change, you have to be willing to work with them. And so I'm trying to extend, um, you know, my hand out there now to them. But as far as the legal things go, I'm pretty much out of that. That is completely up to Ryan. They are appealing it and that will come in the next coming months. But the way we're contributing is, you know, just kind of speaking out. Gotcha. I mean, again, I, I feel like the, the American audience is probably rolling their eyes and I feel like people overseas who might not understand the dynamics. I mean, again, the head coach of the Arizona basketball team, there are audio tapes of him allegedly paying $10,000 a month to a recruit, and they have not had to vacate any victories. So uh, oh you've, been, you've been considerably outspent, Britt. I'm sorry to uh, inform you. Your yeah. $126 router um, has been considerably uh, dwarfed by big-time yeah. revenue sport coaches. Anyway, um, I wish you luck. Keep us uh, keep us posted, and um, yes. I, it seems like you have a, a very reasonable and rational perspective. Um, and it does seem like the the tennis community at large, a good community, um, is backing you here. So yeah, keep thank you. Right. Thank you so much for having me. All right, good luck with it. All right, thanks to Britt. Uh, man, what a what a crazy story! But uh, good to see she has some perspective on that. Uh, thanks to Professor Gilovich. Thanks Jamie for producing as always. Jamie, I don't know if you heard that uh, that conversation, but as a former college athlete yourself, I'm curious what you made of that and what your experience was with compliance departments and clearing houses and in uh, the NCAA. Yeah, I mean, you uh, keep referencing her ironic smile. Um, and just sort of the the way that she's talking about all of this and I can totally relate. It's just, it's crazy, it's ridiculous. The fact that it's so quickly elevated to a vacated title is crazy and that she didn't even know about it. And and also who uses, uh, you know, dorm phones anymore? Like there's just <laughs> so many things about it that is is so antiquated and so crazy and just so, very NCAA, you know, as well. And it's, uh, you know, I'm glad she was able to, to share her story. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, that petition and everything can, can get this team, you know, their, their trophy and their title back on paper, because uh, it's one of those situations that you can't believe that this is what they're spending their time on. I, I had a very similar thought talking to her and uh, you know, I mean, we sort of were, everyone is sort of smiling, including Brit. This was done over zoom and she had this look on her face, like, you know, can you believe this shit? This, this was not outrage so much as it was sort of bemusement. But my thinking is when we talk about the NCAA, it's, it's very problematic. I mean, to me, it's sort of really become morally indefensible and everyone looks for these sweeping cases, right? So it's this whole idea of amateurism and it's this whole idea that, football programs make hundreds of millions of dollars while the athletes are unpaid and it's all the corruption. I mean, we mentioned LSU. I mean, so someone play around with the LSU athletic department 
And uh, tell me why – no wins have been vacated there, but UMass Tennis has had wins vacated. But, but anyway, my, my point is we, we talk about these big issues with the NCAA and sort of the sweeping indefensibility of it all. Maybe the best method of attack is this. I mean, maybe instead of having this, this macroscopic look at college sports and the ethics of it, look at these very targeted cases for the absurdity. And may, maybe apart from this sort of kind of a music story that's outraged people and has had people sign a petition and shake their heads about the foolishness and the pettiness of the NCAA, maybe this actually is instructive for how to attack the NCAA. Instead of focusing on, you know, big time college football and basketball, focus on these smaller instances that sort of show how out of whack this organization is. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I kept saying this for our, for our foreign audience. I kept thinking about someone who didn't understand college sports and the landscape and the rules of engagement, how absurd this whole thing is. But right. I feel like I need to repeat sort of the, the idea here is that college sports are, are pure and that athletes are given scholarships, but they can't receive any sort of compensation, no matter how much money they bring into their school. In the case of UMass tennis, it is not bringing in money, but in the case of, you know, UMass basketball, it is. So to make sure that athletes are not compensated, some of this is they, they can't receive salary, but they also can't receive these benefits. And the rule book is as fat as a phone book. And apparently getting your, you're right too. I mean, the, part of the humor here is who, who the heck uses a landline these days anyway, but apparently she had some landline fee that she was reimbursed for, but she moved off campus. So it didn't apply. And she inadvertently, um, received $126. And that was grounds for basically erasing seasons worth of work, at least uh, in record books. And it, it does outline the absurdity. But I also think uh, maybe this is a better road to attack the NCAA than attacking them because athletes at the University of Alabama bring in, you know, over $100 million in revenue and don't get paid. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of a wild story, and it seems as though Britt's perspective is healthy. But I also, I don't know, this is a bit of a segue, but did you watch this, um, this Guillermo Vilas Netflix movie, Jamie? I did not. Um, it's, wor it's worth 90 minutes of your time. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and probably has a very, you know, I suspect, uh, I'm not sure it has a mass audience, but uh, it's, it's worth 90 minutes of your time time and it's well done and it's the story of basically Guillermo Vilas's quest and uh, a journalist in particular his quest to make sure that Vilas is acknowledged as a number one ranked player and to me it, it dovetails which he hasn't been because of uh, I mean you can sort of draw, draw your own conclusions watching this film but it, it does seem like he d deserved the number one ranking and for a variety of reasons never had it conferred and it, it did dovetail to me with this UMass story in the sense that you know, you, at some level, you, you compete because you compete, and athletes compete for all sorts of reasons, including financial, but you want to be recognized, and you want to be acknowledged, and at some level, who, who cares? You played the matches. Who cares if the, the record books don't acknowledge UMass tennis? You know you were there. You played. You enjoyed right. the camaraderie. You enjoyed the competition, but, you know, re records matter, and the historical record matters, and objective truth matters, and if Guillermo Vilas should have been ranked number one and wasn't, that's significant and it may not be worth money to him and it may not change any match results, but that's the, the historical record has integrity. And when that integrity is violated, that's a problem. And I feel like that was my reaction uh, to, to this UMass story. And at some level, that's my reaction to this Guillermo Vilas um, movie as well. Yeah. I mean, watch it. It's good. It's good. Watch it. I, I will. I will. Thank you. I am in the middle of a, another series now, so I will, will transition there when I'm done. But for, for me, for this, the, the biggest thing is the fact that it was such a minor clerical error. I mean, it was something that she didn't even know that she was receiving. It was a benefit that if she was told that or alerted in some way, you know, I mean, you get a, you get a statement for your, you know, your credit card bill every month. And if something is odd or whatever something it notifies you right i mean if she was notified in any way it would have been very simple for her just to hand that money back you know it wasn't something she was doing knowingly and from you know from what it seems like it, it nobody really understood or, or realized that this kind of slipped through the cracks and i also you know it's not something that was 
enhancing their athletic performance. I mean, I could go on and on about (laughs) just the, I mean, absurd is, is a great word. Um, it just, it's crazy how this is what they're focusing on, you know, and all for the decision by, you know, the UMass coach to self-report this thinking that, Hey, you know, I want to play by the rules. We, we realized this, you know, be, you know, in this audit and just letting you guys know, right. And all of a sudden this is what the result is. It's definitely absurd. It's crazy. And I hope that this idea that this team is being painted as a cheating team or, you know, just accepting, um, you know, some kind of benefit that, you know, impacted their title and helped them to win. I mean, this is not a performance enhancing drug. It's a phone jack that was probably not blocked by some piece of furniture. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just, it's, it's crazy. So I, I hope for Brittany's sake and uh, her teammates sake that this gets cleared. <laughs> That's uh those are really good points that v- vacating uh, again for the, uh, for those not um, for those not versed perhaps in the absurdity of NCAA rules, you know, vacating wins is serious business. Um, that is not a, a slap on the wrist. That's something that's reserved for, you know, USC football scandals when star players take money from agents. The fact that she found out about this vacating of wins, which again is, is fairly significant. The fact that she was a, the central figure in this and found out about it uh, third hand right. um, is, is very strange. You'd think That's if you were going to impose. the title being vacated. Yeah, exactly. But she wasn't even point, contacted exactly. before to discuss the situation right. or anything like that. I mean, that is also a... Just mind-boggling. That you're going to – exactly. You're going to impose this level of punishment in someone, and and they're finding out uh, they were never called to explain anything. They were never kept informed about the process or about any hearings. They they read about it when a friend texted them, and they thought it was a joke, Um, not not unreasonably. The other thing is that – I don't know if you heard her say – the school spent $100,000 defending itself. So the NCAA is supposed to be – it's in support of college athletics and it's supposed to be, you know, it has a number of functions, but one of them is almost uh, the sort of trade group, a lobby group. This would be like the USTA causing uh, an American tennis event to spend a hundred thousand dollars in, in a lawsuit, um, which is absurd. And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, again, this, this goes, this is at the, the same week that uh, your college sports headlines include all sorts of, uh, allegations and cover-up and I, I mentioned that that LSU case and the LSU basketball case those programs you know they're, they're making HBO documentaries on, on the immorality of uh of these programs and these scandals and they haven't had to vacate any victories so um yeah absurdity all around but again again I do think maybe this is how you attack the NCAA maybe in, instead of using these sweeping points about athlete likenesses and about sort of where, where revenues go and overpaid football coaches, may, maybe you go targeted and focus on the, the pettiness and the smallness and the absurdity and the lack of, you know, the, the lack of transparency and the wasted resources. Maybe that's a better way to attack the NCAA. Um, anyway, other tennis news, Jamie, um, and there's not a lot. I mean, the women's season is really winding down. Um, we had more, more titles by, uh, Arena Sabalenka, who's made a habit of playing very, very well uh, in the last quarter, which I guess is better than nothing, but it would be great if she extended that to, uh, to majors. Um, we have Sasha Zverev, apparently expecting father uh, Sasha Zverev, winning a pair of titles. I mean, think about Sasha Zverev's uh, last few months, Jamie. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and what's, what's bigger than a roller coaster? It's been like... Yeah. The beast at Kings Island. Um, he's, you know, he, he had uh, Adria Tour drama. He had family members take ill with COVID. He served for the U.S. Open title and failed to convert and uh, lost in, uh, in a fifth set tiebreaker. He had another PR slip at, at the French Open where he played while demonstrating COVID symptoms that thankfully weren't COVID. Then he wins two titles. Now he's an expecting father. Uh, he could use a few weeks on a beach just to relax and maybe unplug his phone. It's been uh, it's been pretty pretty eventful eight weeks or so for uh, Sasha Zverev, I'd reckon. I'd have to agree. Um, anything else? Uh, anything else strike you? We have uh, some 
players, Gail Monfils, but a number of players seem to be really shutting it down for the season. We're seeing doubles players and singles draw. As of now, as we record this, uh, Paris and, and London are still on the calendar. We have players thinking about when they're going to depart for 2021 Australian Open because of this 14-day quarantine. Any, anything else in the news this week uh, strike you? No, you know, Djokovic still, still trying to, uh, you know, finish out the season and, and earn some points uh, for the, you know, the possibility to finish at number one. Um, Coco Goff keeps coming up and, you know, slowly kind of climbing the ranks. It's, it's quiet, but uh, which is expected for this time of the season. I think as we keep talking about, I'll be really interested to see how players are going to handle um, the next, you know, I guess six weeks as we close the corner into the, the time where they need to make a decision about the Australian Open and, and quarantining and traveling and everything. So not much, but, you know, still, still some headlines, still some, some tennis to watch. I was thinking if you heard me cheating and uh, clicking away as I looked to find uh, how much money Ash Barty won in Shenzhen roughly, uh, roughly a year ago to the day. But um, it was a, a phenomenal a amount of money because, because the, it was a bonus as well, right? The, it's a lot because I think in the 2020 um, Forbes, you know, highest paid athlete rankings for women, I think, you know, of course, Naomi Osaka overtook Serena Williams as number one and then Serena's there shortly behind at number two and I'm pretty sure that Ash Barty is right there at number three so it was certainly significant for her to you know jump up into that that spot for this year for 2020. Yeah I mean Ash Barty won more I remember for winning the WTA finals than she won for winning the French Open. I think and there was a bonus here we have six 6.4 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of money. So Ash Barty a year ago won more than $6 million for, for one week of tennis. Granted, she had to earn her way there, and uh, it was completely well-deserved. I mean, as, as far as we're always concerned, athletes deserve whatever the market bears. But, um, you know, we, what we saw a year ago, it strikes me, was this is the benefit of this relationship the WTA has with China. And you have public funding, and you have a number of uh, de- development companies that want to find ways to make international sports sponsorships, $6 million for, uh, for one week of work, which is tremendous. Bless Ash Barty. Uh, that is the upside to having, uh, you know, moving a lot of your business to China. What we're seeing is that when you're concentrated in one market and that market basically shuts down international sports during COVID, it's problematic. So this year we are seeing uh, the, the downside of um, not having much of a hedge in this, this China strategy. So uh, China, China gives and China takes, and this season uh, with no China, it's really been a bit of a problematic fall for the WTA, which has far fewer events than the men. Uh, hopefully, next year players are back to uh, Shenzhen and back to winning six million dollars for a week of work. But right now, um, this absence of events in China is is hurting women's tennis. Um, other news? Uh, no, I mean I, I spoke to a, to a player who basically told me that everyone's going to go to Australia. And I, I was, I, I had expressed some concern. I said, look, the, the best players can go and take the whole family and have a two week vacation and spend the holidays and, and no problem. They're worse places to be. And the players say 60 on down will happily spend two weeks in Australia for the, the paycheck that comes with playing in a major. What were a player rank, say number 30, who's not going to take his family of four in a private plane. Um, what are they going to do? Are they going to be willing to spend December 15 to just to say December 29 in some equivalent of lockdown in order to play a month of tennis? And, and the answer I got from, from this player was he, he thinks everyone's going. So uh, that, is, uh, that is a good sign. So it looks like we're going to have a fairly normal start to the year. And then um, I don't know if we put this in the mailbag, but the a- ATP has announced some prize reductions based on the reduced crowds at events, which I, I suspect stands to reason. But the flip side of that announcement was these events will happen. So it looks like at least for the first quarter, you know, the, the first 12 weeks of uh, 2021, we're going to have tennis. So that's good. Good news. Good news. Um, all right. That, um, that will do it next week. We have, uh, we have another guest lined up for next week. Um, 
these were two two conversations I enjoyed a little bit off the beaten path and both counts but uh I'd say that's okay right Jamie you yeah, back me on that I love these. I'm always a sucker for some good uh social psychology talk so <laughs> I know I love I we could do uh we, we could have a weekly tennis TED podcast that I would uh listen to religiously um all right speaking of TED talks thanks to uh thanks to Professor Gilovich Thanks to Britt. Thanks, Jamie. As always, we'll, uh, we'll do this again in a week. Subscribe, leave a review, keep these suggestions coming. We just got one in the middle of the night that I woke up to, which was very excellent. Um, and subscribe, leave a review. It all helps. And we'll do it again in a week. Have a good week, everyone.